It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Well, good morning, Elevate Church. Great time of worship. Thank you, team. Really. Isn't it amazing? Now, God is everywhere, but there are times he manifests his presence. It becomes very intense and tangible. Love it. What a great series. I think it's great. Sort of coming to the end of the year, you know, I've been looking at anxiety and all sorts of issues. We've been looking at brokenness and pain and we've looked, you know, throughout the year there's been a real diversity, like a smorgasbord. And we're coming to the end of the year, be really, oh, we're getting to the end of the year, let's just finish gentle and nice and palatable, but let's, no, let's allow the Holy Spirit to shake us and rattle us and this whole thing of yeah, changing the world in us in 52 days. And specifically today, it's discover the leader in you. If I was in my 20s sitting here, this would be the time I would nod off. Because my understanding at that time is, well, I'm not a leader, so this isn't relevant for me. I, I was never a school captain. I was never in charge of the footy team. I never really organised anything. I was more just, yeah, I enjoyed following. I had no aspiration of leading anything. And so even when I became involved in the, the local church, I would still say, but I wasn't a leader. I was just more of a, a servant, a doer. So it depends how you look at leadership. If you have a view, well, to be a leader is to be a CEO. You've got to have a a-type personality, you've got to be driven, you've got to do this and be this and this type of personality. Well, that's one style or one aspect of leadership. The fact is, and I never realised this in my 20s, is we have the Holy Spirit in us. He's a leader. So we've got a leader in us. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit enjoys the task of doing a work in every type of personality, every style of leadership, whether it's a real upfront or whether it's behind the scenes, it's all about having influence. It's about having something on the inside. Well, I discovered this, though I couldn't articulate it at the time. I was about 10 years old. It was a Sunday evening. So on a typical Sunday, our family would go to, well, I would go to Sunday school at 9am. This is in Sydney, Churches of Christ. Great, great little church, 9am Sunday school, 11am big church, which I sat through and endured. This would have been a great place because what I'd do during the service is count the bricks because I wasn't overly engaged and I would, you know, and I'd make shapes out of them and I'd get the bulletin and colour in all the O's and the D's and the P's and see if I could come up with some pattern. That, that was Sunday morning. And then Sunday evening, 6pm gospel service of the off chance didn't happen very often there was a visitor coming in we would sing hymns and we'll finish with a hymn like great as I am you know or to Jesus I surrender and every now and then someone would walk to the front a couple of years later that would be myself 
But basically you did that, very similar to the morning, except you didn't do communion. We had communion every week, but that was done in the morning. And by the way, to go to church in that era, it was all about, well, if the queen went to church, you would wear your best. So everyone is decked out. Men are in pants and shirts with a tie, hair slicked back, uh, women hats and, you know, dresses. And uh, if you're wondering what I was wearing, I'd start here, black shiny shoes, walking socks, blue and white checkered shirts, a white short sleeve shirt and a little blue bow tie. Wow. And, and that, that was church. But on this occasion, we had the young adults come to our place after church. And they were basically a group of hippies. You see, during the 60s, there was this thing called the hippie movement and men started wearing long hair and beards and uh, women stopped shaving, you know, whatever, and they stopped showering and they listened to Bob Dylan and Johnny Mitchell and Cat Stevens and it was just all about peace and, you know, protesting about war. But there was a movement within the movement called the Jesus People Movement, again starting in America came into Australia. And so here is a group of people in their 20s or so, wearing jeans, long hair, you know, just looked very different than everyone else. And they came to our place on this particular Sunday night. I had to go to bed at 8.30, of course, but I, my room was next to the living room, so I could hear them. There was a guy playing guitar, and they were singing some of the very early folky Christian songs. We are one in the spirit, we are one in the... And I'm just going, I've never heard this before, apart from the transistor radio. And, and then they will be drinking instant coffee because that's all there was and they would pray for each other. And uh, they would be there for an hour and a half and I'm looking through the keyhole because I had, from my bedroom, even though I could hear the music, there was a little keyhole and I was looking through, watching them. And not at the time I felt called but something was birthed in me, a, a picture of the church. What if this wasn't after church fellowship? What if this was church? People wearing jeans, guitars instead of organs, um, choruses instead of hymns. And, and I love to this day, I love hymns. But as a child and for these young people, we felt disconnected, loved the message about Jesus, but the the style and the fashion and the whole thing, it was, I just didn't relate to that. That was the beginning of not just birthing a vision, but where I began over the next 20 years to discover the leader in me. Though a timid introvert, though never went, did too well at school, never went to university, never went to any leadership academy, I never went to Harvard, didn't read leadership books, because what's the point? I'm not a leader. And I would say I was emerging as a reluctant leader. It was 1994, been to Bible college, been a youth pastor for a few years, and here we are starting a church, my wife and I called, the church was called Beachway, we're meeting in a pub at Scarborough, uh, we've got tables and chairs that so was decked out like a, a cafe, the guy that set up um, the overhead projector, and the screen was the barman who wasn't very impressive. He had to actually do some work before the happy hour at the pub. And uh, I started, like Andrew, but Andrew did a lot better job than I did. I started leading worship, wearing jeans, singing folky worship songs 
in a pub, everyone's just really casual, some people wearing bodies, and over time, the barman got saved, heroin addict, got baptised, my first funeral was for the barman after he got saved. We started having druggies come in, homeless people, people with all sorts of mental health, and then I, it was sort of dawned on me, whoa, it all began at the age of 10. Just getting a glimpse of not the perfect church, uh, not the best church, but just a different way of doing church. And God sovereignly, on this occasion, chose a very reluctant leader who in many ways didn't have a clue, who in time developed all sorts of issues with anxiety and all sorts of insecurities, but God said, I'm going to choose you to build a church that's a little bit different and it's going to attract a different group of people, the people who are very broken, the people that wouldn't think they could go into a, <laughs> a normal church. This wasn't normal in the eyes of many unchurched people. And you see, this story of Nehemiah is so relatable for myself and maybe for many of you because he, he doesn't come across as this A-type, alpha male, you know, been to the academy and just a natural-born leader. What we read about Nehemiah, he, like so many Jews, uh, are living in exile in Babylon, which is modern-day Iran, some 1,600 kilometres from home, a long way from home. And they've been in this exile for, you know, 70 years or so. And over time, the world power has changed from, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to now Artaxerxes, the, the Persians. And I could imagine for Artaxerxes, you know, you know, 70 years is a long time. These people are having babies. and so, These people are a pain. You know, they're not a military threat. Might as well send them back in different groups. But at this time, Nehemiah is still serving. He's a, you could say he's a government worker. He's a cupbearer, which simply means that before the king has his glass of Cab Sav or Merlot, whatever it is, Nehemiah said, I'll drink it first just in case. Not it's off, but someone's put poison in to assassinate you. So he'll drink it. Oh, that's good. Margaret River, I reckon. And, uh, yep, pretty good. No. I'm okay, you're okay, there you go. Your highness, your wine, you know, he, he was a butler. He was a servant. But then things began to change. And I want to take you on a bit of a journey of what leadership, becoming this awakening of, oh, I am a leader, but not just a leader, I'm a leader that has a particular burden. I am a leader in a community of leaders with a leadership team and a pastor, but we're all leaders. I am looking at leaders. We also follow, but we are all influencers because we have the Holy Spirit in us, because we have signed up to be followers of Jesus, and there's a sense of urgency of, hey, we want to see the kingdom of God come. We, we want to see some things happen on this earth. You know, you know, we're wanting what God is doing in heaven. We want to see it on earth. And he's going to use people like you and me. Those who are natural born leaders, those who have always been in leadership, and those like myself and Nehemiah and maybe some others here who are, oh, here I am, Lord, send him. No, it's like, well, here I am, Lord, 
I guess you can send me. So this is what the, the journey could look like. For me, it, it began as simply a picture, what church could look like, a, a sense of as I got older, I think we could do better. You know, the church I was part of, the denomination I'm part of, I'm, I'm committed to it, but I wouldn't bring my friends. And, and there was a sense of, uh, I just think we could do better. There was a burden for the local church. So I want to ask you a question. What breaks your heart? What is one thing out of many things that break your heart? What is one thing that gets under your skin? Not your spouse or your kids, but what is one thing, an issue, an event, a type of people, something happening in the world that you just go, oh, it's not on my watch, not on our watch. It gets under my skin. I watch it, I listen to it, and it just, it's something we're passionate about. Doesn't matter what type of leader, we are all filled with the Spirit of Christ. There's something at some point we've watched the news, we've read a book, we've talked to a person, we've travelled, we've been, we've seen something, and we just went, oh, I can't let that go. What could it be for you? Is it issues to do with poverty, people with disabilities? Uh, people in aged care, people with Alzheimer's, dementia? Is it people with you know, these rare diseases, different types of cancers? Is it um, domestic violence? You know, is, there, uh, is it mental health? Is, is it the well-being of people? Oh, there's dozens and dozens of things that for some of us, it just gets our attention. For some of you, and I want to address it might only be one or two people, you think about money, but not about making more money so you have a better lifestyle, but there's just, you just feel you're being wired. Your burden is you want to make money and invest it in God's kingdom. And you're looking for other leaders who have got a burden where you can say, hey, can I invest this money into this project, into this cause? And so I want to say to you, if your thing is money and making money for the kingdom of God, it is a very noble and a very spiritual passion. It's just a spiritual saying, oh, I've got a real heart for uh, foster kids. I've got a real heart for people who've gone through this situation or that situation situation. Chances are whatever you have, there's at least one or two other people that have it. And for some people, it's something like neuroscience. Just you are fascinated, not just by knowing more, but how it applies with faith and with well-being and we're still learning more about it. It's just, what is that one thing? Sometimes it's not just, you know, something like poverty and that. It's a burden. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's raw. It's like... And when Nehemiah, you know, he was just faithfully serving the king, and then one day he heard, hey, we've got a report. Um, yeah, the temple's back up and running. Not quite as good as it was before, but it's okay. Houses, the city's up and running. But the overall pulse and the people, people are in a bad place. And by the way, the walls are broken. They're still down. I mean, they're probably metres and metres tall of just rubble, and it's like, you know, I think after a while people just say, well, it's not too bad. You know, kids love climbing over the rubble. And, but Nehemiah heard and went, no, this is not acceptable. 
The, the, the city is vulnerable. This glorious city, the people of God that was once, you know, it, it caused dread throughout all the nations. It's, it's a laughingstock. It's a reminder. We were overthrown by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and we haven't got the courage or the whatever to rebuild. And for Nehemiah, he heard about it and we read that when I heard these things, I, he had to sit down. It's like getting bad news. It's like, well, I've got, to, I've got to sit down. And he wept. And for some days he, he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. In other words, he knows he has to go to King Artaxerxes and say, here is the situation. Will you release me and resources to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall? But it's just like, but before I meet Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, I need to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I need to spend time. What does this mean? This news, I am, it, it's like I feel the pain. I feel the exposure. I feel the vulnerability. I feel the shame of a city living in disgrace. He couldn't hide it. So the first part of this journey of leadership is vision begins with a burden, a sense of discontent, frustrated at times, rage, anger, and it's fuel to get something done. It's God getting our attention saying, I want you to be released. For you to feel what I'm feeling. For you to see what I see. But what about him and what about them? The key point in this sermon you don't have to be the best to change the world. You just have to care the most. You don't have to be the most qualified, the most you know, outgoing, the most courageous, the most articulate, whatever. You just need to care a real lot. You just need to be like Nehemiah, just I, I cannot ignore this. And he's not judging others. Why can they ignore it? Just for whatever reason, I cannot sleep. And at some point, he took responsibility. It's like, Lord, I don't know what this looks like, but here I am, send me. We have to face our burden. So we have this burden. You you might even be able to articulate it. For, For Nehemiah, it was just, I need to be released to rebuild the wars of Jerusalem so we're no longer in disgrace. For me, it was like, I I, I just believe God wants to start a a different type of church to reach a different type of people. But I remember there's a point where you have this burden, but at some point you've got to go public. At some point you've got to share it with someone. And so you don't just face your burden, you now have to face your fear. And for Karen and I, you know, we... I was at Warwick Church Christ, enjoyed the journey for five years, but then I had this thing of, I think God wants me to start a church, going back to this kid, you know, a different type of church. And, and we're overseas in 93, we're travelling between the end time of being, you know, the, the youth pastor and 95 or 94 when we'll start something new. And I just felt, oh, I think the Lord wants me to start a church in Scarborough. And I heard about a church, uh, church Christ leader in LA for a conference and we were, we were about two hours from LA at the time. I thought I'll drive and talk to this guy. Some of you will know Neil Fong. And uh, I remember going to see Neil and said, hi Neil, how are you going? And we're just talking about our travel and his 
family and whatever, we used to catch up and we did some things together like youth vision and Church of Christ, whatever, and I just thought he'd be a great guy because I know he wouldn't muck around. He's a straight shooter but gracious. So I said, Neil, I've, I've got this burden, I've got this vision of starting a church, this type of church, expecting him to go, oh, Rob, it's, uh, it's a really great vision, but you're not the guy. That, that's really what I was expecting. But he's nodding, he's listening. He said, Rob, you've got to go for it. I love it. I believe in you. You do? <laughs> it's like, and so anyhow, I you know, had that time and, you know, I went back to where we were staying and told a couple of people who we were travelling with and they said, oh, yeah, the, what, did they, what did this guy say? He said, oh, he says, green light, go for it. So he knows, and he's going to tell his wife, and his wife will tell her friends, and he will tell his friends, and their friends will tell them. This is how my thinking was. And then all of a sudden, everyone in Perth knows Rob Mason is coming back in 1994 to plant a church, and everyone's going to go, <laughs> Rob? I mean, he was a pretty good youth pastor. He probably would be an okay associate pastor, but start a church? You've got to be a leader. Rob's not a that's what that's the role play that was going on and I had to and what this burden was doing now that I started going public it was dialing up all this insecurity fear if if that is you or or I'm telling you once you have this burden you you know what it is and you start sharing don't be surprised it doesn't mean God's saying okay can you're feeling fear no it's part of the journey because not only is it going to help refine the vision it's going to do a work in you, the leader, even if it's you, the reluctant leader. <sighs> so Nehemiah, he has to go public. He has to go to the, to the king. And so he approaches the king and the king says, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Now, how the king knows he's not ill, I have no idea, but very discerning. This can be nothing but sadness in the heart. That's a pretty good response. What we don't appreciate is in, in that time, a king, if you walked into the king's presence with a sad face, you could say, you're out, you're in prison, um, off with his head. I do not want my servant to come into my presence with all the issues I'm dealing with governing this nation. I need someone who's upbeat, who's good, who's kind, who's friendly, who's got a joke, whatever it is. How dare you? Nehemiah knew that there was a chance it could cost his life. And Nehemiah even said when he went to the king, the king could see that he was sad, he was broken. And Nehemiah said, and I was very much afraid. It's like, oh, this could cost me my life. This might be the, the shortest you know, casting vision ever in leadership. It's just like, but... He had to do it. When we go out with our vision, with our burden, even as a reluctant leader, we'll, we'll go through, we'll have to wrestle with the what-if scenarios. What if no one's on board? What if people mock me? What if people misunderstand me? What if it doesn't work? What if I can't raise money? And all these other things. Let me just ask a question. What would you do for the glory of God if you knew you wouldn't fail? Because sometimes it's just the fear of failure that stops us doing something extraordinary. But I've come to realise that those who are most successful 
have failed the most. Failure is not fatal. Failure is just part of the journey of just surrendering ego and all the other things. What will people think? What will people say? And God's saying, I've given you a burden. I've given it to you. I could have given it to someone else. I've given it for you. I want you to carry it. I want you to share it. And I want to empower you to go on a journey to see it come to fruition. You face the burden. You face your fear. But then there will be opposition. So finished with Churches of Christ you know, at, at Warwick as a youth pastor. I went to a not Neil, but another person in leadership said, I've got this vision of starting a church of Christ. It's going to be, you know, sit around tables and chairs. It's going to be really different and da da da. And the guy said, oh, Rob, you have very limited potential. You're, you're not a church planter. That, that's not going to happen. But I do know of a little struggling church of Christ that's looking for a solo pastor. If you want to cut your teeth and try being the main guy, we could send you there. But no, that's never going to happen. Out of all the dozens and dozens of positive statements I've had, yeah, Rob, we're on board. This is great. This is exciting. Sign me up. It just took one opponent to temporarily derail me. And so it's just part of the deal. And for, for Nehemiah, you know, he's in Jerusalem. And then we read in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19, but when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, Geshem the Arab, heard what he was doing, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They're not Jews. But they're people who've got authority, they're leaders, but they're looking at what Nehemiah's about to do or is doing, and they're just going, this is ridiculous, it can't be done, they've tried it before, it's too much, it's too, you're not an engineer, you're not qualified, you don't have what it takes, and it's just, and this is a time we have to go, I'm not going to allow the opponents to intimidate me. I'm going to submit myself to the sovereignty of God. And Nehemiah didn't get into a debate. He simply said to them, these people, this isn't my vision. It's God's vision. And it will be successful. What should have probably taken years, they completed supernaturally in 52 days. Face your opponents. Then we have to face our next step. Wherever we are on the leadership journey, wherever we are with this, this uh, potential burden, we're trying to find out what it is. Let's look at Nehemiah. Served the butler as the butler to the Persian king. He hears the news, feels the burden. He approaches the king. He faces his fear. He travels 1,600 kilometers with all of this material and other people to assist him. He then privately examines the war to see the next, uh, the next step. And then his next step we find in Nehemiah 2.17. He goes to the people of Jerusalem and he says, says to them, Come, let us rebuild the war of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. He didn't say, hey, guys, I'm here to rebuild the wall. Watch me. It's going to take a long time. He didn't say, hey, I've got the best engineers and stonemasons, whatever. I want you to watch the professionals do it. 
Sometimes you feel in church, it's just about a few professionals. We just sit and watch. But Nehemiah, what he does, he doesn't get a few people. He says to the whole city, he mobilises the whole city. Let us together rebuild the walls. The what? Why? So we are no longer in disgrace. We are no longer vulnerable. This, we will get this done. We'll get it done quickly. And because I get it done so quickly, 52 days, word had got out. They started parting really loud, kilometres away. They could hear this. And they were just thinking, no, they got it done in 52 days. So whatever the burden is, it can't be done alone. It might be a vision for your family, so you share it with your family. It might be a vision for your street, your neighbourhood. It could be a vision for the city. It could be a vision for a particular group of people overseas. Whatever it is, your next step is to start gathering people. People that you sense have a similar heart. Your next step might be researching. I want to know more about this particular issue. And, and, and it, it, it fuels that sense of, of passion. Let me just say it again. You don't have to be the best to make a difference. You just have to care the most. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Feel the burden. Face up to the burden. Face your fears. Face the opponents. Face the next step. You are a leader anointed with the Holy Spirit. There are two great times in a person's life. The time they were born and the time they discover why. God bless. We really hope you've got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.